You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just love you and we give you all the glory and honor, Lord. You alone are worthy. We just praise you, dear Lord. It's not the power that we find within ourselves, dear Lord. It is the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, dear Lord, for being a part of a church where there's just honesty and openness, where, dear Lord, there's transparency, where people feel the freedom to be able to raise their hands, to shout, to give you glory and honor, dear Lord, to weep before you, to do uh, as your Holy Spirit would lead them. But Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you that no matter what problem we may face in life, no matter what difficulty may come our way, that there is nothing that you, Jesus, cannot handle. We thank you, dear Lord, for the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Lord, whatever the problems may be today, whether it be in marriage, in a relationship with children, with family, with rebellion or prodigals or whatever it may be, with health, with finances, with job, may we find refuge in you. And may we understand that, dear Lord, you are never late. Though the answer may be long in coming, it will come. You've said men ought always to pray, never to give up. Lord, you're never late. You're always right on time. And you always answer prayer. And so, Lord, may we trust you. Now, Lord, use this time. Speak to our hearts, dear Lord. Cleanse me if there be anything in me, any thought, deed, idle word, any glance, anything, dear Lord, that in any way would hinder your word. Let me be a vessel. But, Lord, I pray that for these people. Lord, sometimes I pray that prayer, but, dear Lord, I wonder if people who are listening They're taking a moment and just getting honest before you and saying, Lord, if there's anything in me that would hinder your word from being received into my heart, then Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. And Lord, if you'll do that in all of us, we will receive a blessing today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and real quickly in the Old Testament, I want you to go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. This is a pivotal verse in this series on worry, dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, and dealing with those uh, stresses that sometimes come into our lives. We've been, we've been looking at a series. We titled the series just simply that word, worried. And we said that in all of our lives, sooner or later, we're going to deal, we're going to deal with anxiety. But in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, let me hear you say amen if you found it. I want you to think about that verse for a moment. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In other words, you and I need to understand something that what you and I think, this cognitive mental activity that we call thinking, thoughts, all of that will affect who we are and how we behave. In, in psychiatry, you would talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, which means that when you go for counseling, If you're talking to a psychiatrist, they're wanting to figure out, first of all, cognitive, how you think, behavior, then affects how you behave, and they want to do some therapy to restructure your thinking so that you behave differently. You see, and that's what the Bible's talking about. And I I wrote this down because, you know, to me... First of all, to me, when you're baptizing people, the most difficult part of baptism is when you're trying... Let me tell you the most difficult part of getting a person, getting under. What do you think the most difficult part to get under the water? The head. 
It's like people look at you like, you, you wouldn't believe some of the faces that you see as people are going down. You know, scared to death. You, you just see, you see fear. Uh, they'll tense up. And, and they're, they're, they look at you like you're getting ready to drown them, you know. And, and one of the most difficult parts of the human body to get under the water when you're baptizing people is the head. And I want you to understand that a lot of times in our life, it is an area where the enemy can wreak havoc in your life and in my life. In fact, I wrote this down. The enemy has gained a victory by cluttering our minds with worry, with anxiety. He consumes us with this dog and pony show of what ifs, negative, destructive patterns of thinking. We live in bondage, held prisoner by what is sitting on our shoulders. If there is an abundant life, we never know it. We ride a roller coaster of uncontrollable thinking, driven into panic, often by illogical mental exercises, void of reality and truth. Lies that have been hatched out of the pit of hell, cancerous tumors of toxic thoughts, filled with ruin and despair. Listen to this. We live a lifetime in prison to a negative voice in our head. Thoughts we feel that we cannot control. I can't help it is often said. We are convinced by our enemy, the devil of thoughts that are terminal, convincing us there is no hope. Satan, our enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, is seeking to set up residence in our head, in our thinking. Wow. If you can change the way a man or a woman thinks, you can change the man or the woman. In fact, it doesn't surprise me that the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth is repent, and he uses the word metanoia. It is the idea of changing one's mind. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus will use the exact same word in the first sermon out of his mouth, repent, metanoia, change of mind. It doesn't surprise me that the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 talks about the transformation of the, you want to say it? of the mind. In other words, the Bible makes it clear how you and I think affects how we behave and how we live our life. This is the reason Paul said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to, in essence, have the mind of who? The mind of Christ. So your enemy, my enemy, is trying to take up residence in your head, in your thoughts, thereby affecting how you live your life. Now let me ask you some questions this morning. Are you doomed to obsessive, negative, destructive thinking? Now think about that for a moment. Are you doomed in your mind to, and by that what I mean is this, your attitude is, I can't help, what I think, how I think. I'm going to change that today. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit, empowering His Word, I'm going to help you have victory today over how you think. But are you doomed to obsessive, negative, destructive thinking? Number two, are your thoughts an area of your life that right now are beyond the control and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. Number three, are you a prisoner to your poor thinking? Are you in bondage to thoughts that you cannot seem to get out of your head and get rid of? Now I want you to listen very closely because this is critical. Often what can happen in our lives, we can go to the medical industry, we can go to psychiatry, we can go to counselors, behavioral therapists, and those people who may prescribe a drug or something to give us some measure of relief 
from obsessive, compulsive, negative, worrisome thinking. But ultimately, outside of cognitive behavioral therapy, and I want to add to this, spiritual therapy, you and I can never have long-term victory. You see, God is not only trying to get into your heart, He's trying to get into your head. He wants you to have the mind of Christ, and He wants you to have victory in this area. I wrote this down, some feel I can't help it. I want to say to you, yes, you can. Some people will look at me and say, you know, I can't help how I think, what goes through my head, the thoughts that come to my mind. I can't help that. Yes, you can. And the Bible has a process for you and I to find victory in that area of our lives. And so I want you to listen very closely. Now, quick, your brain is made up of two sides. You know, I I did a little research this week, but the right side is the side that identifies negative emotions. When the right side, anger, fear, danger, the right side identifies those, those emotions that you begin to feel, and then the left side interprets those emotions, interprets the situation, and then responds accordingly. Let me give you an example. You, you see a dog. You come to a house, you see a dog. Immediately, there's either an emotion of fear... Or joy. You're either happy to see the dog or you're frightened and afraid of the dog. When that event happens, the right side is identifying the emotion and the left side is going to determine how you're going to respond. If it's fear, then your, then your, then your left side is going to say run. If the right side says it's joy, there's happiness, you, you feel a positive emotion, then it's going to, the response is going to be to reach down and hug that animal. You see, you've got a hundred billion nerve endings that are all communicating, gathering and receiving electrochemical signals and your brain is an unbelievable organ. It is absolutely one of the most fascinating parts of the human body. We are, as Psalm 8 says, the more I study this, the more I realize Psalm 8, when the psalmist said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Man is unbelievably uh, unique creature. When you take Paxil, Lexapro, Zoloft, when you begin to take some of these drugs, these antidepressants, in some ways they are tweaking the chemical, electrochemical reactions that are going on in that hundred billion nerve endings. In other words, it does so by tweaking the chemicals, thereby giving serotonin, for example. It, it, it begins to bring that depression down, that anxiety that you're beginning to feel. It calms your mind down. And you see, for many of you in this room, and people that are listening, if we're not careful, we can spend our life looking to medicine and looking to drugs to fix us. That's the mistake. And so God has something for you and I that we can do. Now, again, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul said we're not to be drunk with wine, but we are to be filled with what? With the Holy Spirit. But the truth of the matter is, is that what can happen when we're worried, when we're anxious, is we begin to think obsessively, compulsively negative thoughts. All of a sudden things are racing through our mind. We're what-ifing. We're thinking the worst case scenario. And eventually the enemy begins to set up residence in our mind and we begin to lose the joy of our salvation. We begin to no longer grasp the eternal security of the believer. And all of a sudden we're living in fear. We're not walking by faith, we're walking by fear. The enemy has effectively got into your head and got into mine. And when that happens, there is a part of us that says, I'm going to go to the doctor, I'm going to get something to fix this. Drugs will never fix it. People who have an addictive nature will find themselves often with anxious thoughts and in desperation will go to alcohol, will go to drugs. Hey, listen, and go to food. You see, when you eat something that, you know, a lot of people, when they, when they worry, when they're anxious, when they, get, when they get upset, what do they do? They go to the refrigerator, they begin to eat. Is it amazing to me that we're living in a country today where obesity is such a problem, but my friend, the problem is not here. The problem is not in the stomach. Do you want to guess where the problem is? It's here. If you watch Biggest Losers, 
They're not, if you watch Biggest Loser, they're not trying to fix people's diet in their stomach. They're trying to fix what's gone wrong in their where? You want to guess it? Let's say it together. In their what? In their head, in their mind. You see, Proverbs 23, 7 says it. As a man thinketh in his heart. Now the heart is the seat of the emotions to the Hebrew, in the Hebrew language. It was the seat of the personality. It was the mental and cognitive. It was the mind. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And your enemy knows that. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to introduce to you a formula. And I sat yesterday, I sat drinking coffee with one of the premier psychiatrists in the world. And we talked for a long time about this. In fact, I thought it was strange. He just happened to show up there. But this formula that I want to introduce to you, I believe that every psychiatrist would agree with. I believe that every behavioral therapist would agree with. And Stan and Reggie and some of these that have been in seminary and had gone through extended education, I believe that theologians would agree with. In other words, is it possible to fix your mind, my mind, your head, my head, so that we begin to have victory over some of these obsessive, negative, worrisome, compulsive thoughts that seem to invade our lives? You know, this, uh, this knowledge, I believe this formula, not only comes from the Lord and study of His Word, it comes from my own battle. It comes from 35 years of sitting with people, many of them just like you, who struggle and wrestle and can't seem to find victory in their life, who live in bondage sometimes to their thinking. What is the formula? I want you to write it down. In fact, I want you to look this way for a moment. There are times in your life and in my life where we uh, will be just, you'll be driving, you'll be working, and all of a sudden it's like a cloud will come over you. And people on the website will know what I'm talking about as well. In that moment, what can happen sometimes is what's happening is is you're having a negative, worrisome, bad, anxious thought. Something has come into your head. Now, my friend, listen to me. Your enemy, the devil, will do everything he can to wreak havoc in your life. And one of the best ways he can do it is right here. So all of a sudden you have a negative, you have a worrisome, you have a thought that comes to your mind, you begin to what if, and and listen, what happens to that negative thought, whatever it is, whatever that worry is, it begins to start getting, you want to guess it, you want to finish it, it gets what? It gets bigger. You begin to explode that thing and and pull it out all, all out of proportion. It can be a pain or an ailment in your body. It can be something happening to somebody that you love. It can be the potential for something going wrong in a relationship, in your job. Something comes and all of a sudden you have that thought. Now, now listen to me. In that moment, I want to teach you something. I want you to learn to do a CAT scan when it comes to your thinking. A CAT scan when it comes to a thought. And I want you to watch now, listen. The C, the acrostic cat with two K, with, uh, two T's. Cat, C, capture. Number one, I want you to capture the thought. Number two, A, A, I want you to analyze the thought. Number three, T, I want you to either toss the thought or treasure the thought. So cat is going to be spelled with two T's. Now, I I knew that some of you could care less and you ain't going to write, you don't know what it is to take a note, but that's why I made it so simple for you. But I'm telling you that this simple formula can change your life. So here you have a thought, you have a worrisome, negative, destructive thought that comes into your mind. Now, number one, what are you going to do? You're going to capture the thought. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You see, Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, is defending his ministry. But he makes an interesting statement here, and I think it is a fascinating one. Because for you and I to have healing and a change in our thinking... 
We've got to first of all learn something. The first principle is this. I need to capture every thought. Now watch what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Well, let's just pick up at verse 1. Paul said, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, we talked about gentleness. Don't last Sunday's sermon. Don't worry, be gentle. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Paul will allude to that in Ephesians chapter 6. On the contrary, they have divine power. Are you watching this? On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Listen to me, everybody look this way. Your enemy and my enemy, if we are not careful, will set up residence. He'll have a stronghold in your life, in your mind, by the way you think. So Paul says here, he says, we, he says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now look at this. This is critical. Dog ear the page. Underline this. Fold it over in your Bible. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you see it? So, number one, Paul said this. He said, listen, when you and I have a thought, every thought that comes across our mind, we need to, first of all, in the Greek here, the word means to bring into captivity, and the prisoner is not a person, the prisoner is a thought. This mental cognitive exercise that we do every way, every day. Paul uses a, in the, in the, uh, in a verb form here, halosis. It means to capture. R. Kent Hughes said this, listen to this. He said the word thought refers more specifically to the mind as the intellectual control center of our being. He goes on to quote Carson, another prominent theologian. He said, Carson states, not merely thinking holy thoughts, but that their mental structures, plans, schemes are taken over and transformed as they come under a new allegiance, and that is Christ. This is why Paul said, in fact, let's just take a right from 2 Corinthians and look at, well, take a left, 2 Corinthians, I meant um, Romans chapter 12. I want you to see this. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now watch what he says in verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind. Paul uses a Greek word, metamorphosis. It is the same thing that happens when a caterpillar spins itself into, the, uh, into that cocoon and it goes into that cocoon and then eventually when that cocoon opens up and it hatches out, it is a beautiful butterfly. What God is doing in your life and in my life is trying to bring hagiosma, sanctification, not only to our hearts but to our heads. God is wanting to change how you and I think. Why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why Paul would say, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say here, he said, Paul is saying, now listen to this, this is critical, that when Paul is talking about Romans 12 too, that God is transforming your mind, he's transforming my mind, he goes on to say that God is tearing down strongholds behavioral patterns where sin is conceived and birthed, listen to this, in the mind. God is going to the root of our behavior, which is how we think. And God is in the process of transforming, metamorphosis, changing the way we think, thereby it changes how we behave. 
R. Ken Hughes went on to make this statement. He said, Christ transforms thought patterns and installs a new paradigm. Now, what does paradigm mean? It means an example. It means a pattern. It means a new example. In fact, Paul will say it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. You know what Paul says? Paul, in verse 8, he says, listen, think about these things. Think good things. And then Paul says, verse 9, follow my example. See, people, what happens is we have worrisome, negative, destructive thoughts, and sometimes it so affects our life. Where did it come from? Sometimes it came from your parents. If your parent was a worrisome person, negative person, who tended to see the, to see the glass half empty, if you were raised in that kind of environment, then of course you would gravitate somewhat toward a worrisome, negative kind of person. You just always see the worst about everything. God is trying to set you free of the patterns that your parents have put in your life. But more than that, it's not just your parents, it's your past. If things have not worked out, if life has been tough for you, if you've been kind of beat up in life, then the reality is is that what can happen is you can get so scarred up that you become a negative person, you think worrisome, destructive, negative thoughts, and it thereby affects your life. I wrote down here the problem most people think, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I think. You ever hear people say that? Well, I can't help it. That's the way I think. Or I've always believed that. I don't know. I've just always believed that. I've always thought that way. Listen, if that's your statement, then you are a prisoner to your thoughts. Listen, you will either, listen, you'll either take every thought captive or thoughts will take you captive. And this is what Paul was saying. So Paul says here, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says, listen, Paul said, I take every single thought captive. Why did Paul do that? Because Paul was a Pharisee. He had, all but, he had memorized the Old Testament. And in Proverbs 23, 7, he had been taught from a child, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. He had heard that in the Hebrew language. Shema Israel, the Lord is one God. He had been taught Proverbs 23, 7. Paul, when he was a boy, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So Paul understood this. If you're going to change a man's behavior, you better change his thought life. There's a principle here. The principle is we are what we think. There's another principle here. We act out what we think. And that is critical. And your enemy knows it. My enemy knows it. Your enemy loves toxic negative, destructive thinking. He comes to kill, steal, to destroy. Do you know how he does it? He just plants a thought. That's what he does. And before long, guess what happens? The thought, the worry, the fear, the negative, the destructive thought begins to call the shots. Now you have a thought that literally is taking up residence in your life and it is affecting how you behave. Please hear me, this is critical. The thought can become, listen to this, the Lord of your life. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the thought can steal joy and it can cripple you as a Christian. Let me give you a principle again. You either capture every thought or every thought will capture you. Paul says here, he says, take every thought. No thought was to go unnoticed. Every thought. Every thought coming into your mind must be stopped at the door of the Holy Spirit. No thought is to be allowed to meander or to be unobserved. No loitering here. No loitering here. 
An idol, listen, your grandmother tried to tell you that. She said that an idol mine is what? What she was saying to you and I was simply this. An idol mind not filled with the Holy Spirit, not governed and guided by God's Spirit, God's Word. The enemy will come in, an idol mind, and he will set up residence with thoughts that are destructive and negative and before long it affects your behavior. There's a principle here. Worrisome, negative, destructive thoughts can and will imprison you, hold you captive, Keep you in bondage. Let me give you one. Young people, listen closely. All my life growing up, I thought I was stupid. I thought I was dumb. I remember when growing up in our home, my dad was, my dad is one of the smartest men I know on the earth. My dad worked for NASA. He was involved in the moon missions. My dad was the one who was building rockets. My dad is a, is a mathematician, brilliant. My dad could build this building. He could do the electrical. He could do the plumbing. He could, he could Jeff, he could do the fountain. He could lay every part. Listen, my dad is a brilliant man. And I can remember a lot of times I struggled in math. How many of you struggle in math? Math was my dad's cup of tea. My dad had a gold chair. I mean, kind of a, he was like Archie Bunker about his chair. You didn't sit in dad's chair. And I can remember going in there with algebra, trigonometry, geometry, and, I, I'd, and, and, I'd, and I'd get down there by Dad's chair with that book, and I'd say, Dad, I don't understand this. And Man, he'd kind of reprimand me a little bit. Well, son, it's, it's just so simple, son. Uh, you know, I, you, you ought to be able to get this. How many times have I told you? You know, he's kind of like uh, one of my sons who, when I ask him a computer question, well, my goodness, Dad, how many times have I going to show you this? And so what happened is I began to think I was dumb and, and, and because I thought I was dumb, I, I didn't study and I didn't, I didn't try and I, I learned to squeeze by throughout my educational years. I squeezed by barely getting through course after course, right? All, I, mean, I mean elementary, junior high, high school. I was an average, just barely average student because I was dumb. I didn't think I was smart. I was stupid. And that thought was firmly entrenched here in my mind. It affected me. It determined what curriculum I took. Some people have said, man, you'd have made a great doctor. I was in pre-law. I was going to law school. You'd have made a great lawyer. But so many things. I thought med school, I thought I'm so stupid I'd never get through med school. Law school, MC law school, I'd never get through law school. You see, that thought, the thought that I was dumb, stupid, not very smart, was affecting my life and affecting the choices that I was making. The enemy had set up residence right here. I did my master's at MDiv, my master of divinity at New Orleans. Again, I thought I was stupid. When it came to languages, Greek and Hebrew, though I took two years of German in college, I thought I was stupid. Then I finally started working on my doctorate. I went over to Reformed Theological Seminary among Presbyterians. I see some Presbyterians back there that are visiting today. And I want you to know something. I, I remember coming home in that doctoral program and looking at Sheila after one of those days in a seminar with R.C. Sproul, and I said, now I know I'm stupid. I don't even know the language they're using over there. I thought it was some kind of foreign language. And I was just dumb, stupid, right on all the way through elementary, junior high, high school, college, master, doctorate, still stupid, dumb, dumbest one in the class, squeaking, just barely getting by. Why? Because the enemy had literally planted a thought and it had literally took full fruit. Until taking a counseling class at doctoral level, a president, the president of the seminary that had been invited to teach the class, who had written the textbook, called me into his office. I sat down, he looked at me, and he said, Jeff, he said, uh, I'm going to tell you something. He said, in counseling, you're the smartest young man, the smartest student that I've ever had. And he said, I've given you the highest grade that I've been president of a seminary and a guest lecturer 
at RTS and the writer of the textbook said, son, I want you to know something. You're the smartest student I've ever taught. I've given you the highest grade I've ever given. And I just want you to know that. You know what the enemy was doing then? He was really backtracking because something changed in my life that made me come to realize I'm not dumb and stupid at all. You see, how many of you in this room, how many of you in this room have a toxic thought, a negative, destructive, worrisome thought that is robbing you of life? It's crippled your ability to succeed. You squeeze by, barely getting by. You don't take a challenge. You don't push yourself to the limit because you're not, you're not up to it. You don't have the brains to do it. My friend, you have a mind, and the Bible says you have a brilliant, gifted mind. You've been made in the image of God. God has a purpose and a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, not to hurt you or to harm you, but to prosper you, to raise you up, and to use you for greatness. And if you've got a bad thought, a, a problem that keeps you and robs you, you may feel like, well, you know, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not good looking enough, or I don't have a, the personality. That's the enemy because he loves to defeat us. Mediocrity, bar mediocrity barely average. I love teachers that, in, that challenge students. You ever notice the toughest coaches? You ever notice the tough teachers? They don't listen. They don't, they don't allow you to hang around in that negativity with those kind of thoughts. They see the quality. They see the goodness. They see the potential and the, they see the talents in you and they, they pull you up out and they, they cause you to believe in yourself and, and realize, hey, you know, I've been, I've been in bondage to a thought here. Paul said, take every thought captive. Capture the thought. Let me ask you something. Are you an encourager? Do you see the potential? Do you lift people up? Do you make them believe in themselves? Are you a negative person, half empty, and do you see the worst? Can you Listen, this is the great thing about being an encourager. You and I can do the opposite of what our enemy does. We can plant good seed, good thoughts into people's lives. Tell people what you want to hear. Think about that. You look, listen, you want to change how a waitress will wait on your table, you look at her, and you make sure your wife's with you, but you look at her, get your wife to look at her and say, you've got the most beautiful eyes. That woman, her whole demeanor, her countenance, everything will change. She will wait on your table far differently than she did when she first approached it. You have become the hero in the whole dining room. And you know why? Because you put a good thought. You planted a positive, constructive point into her life. And that may be the first time in a long time she's heard it. That's the power of children. When you get down to a child's level and you look at them and say, Boy, you're a good look. You are a good looking little boy. Man, let me feel that muscle. I looked at my little grandson. Judah, he's got his little skinny thing. And I said, Judah, got that old long curly hair. I said, Judah, I said, are you strong? He said, oh, Papa, I'm strong. He flexed his muscles up. He did like that little bony little arm. I said, ooh, feel that muscle. I said, Nam, come here and feel that muscle. Man, he walked around the next 30 minutes around the house, boy, with his chest back, you know. He, he thought, listen, he thought he was somebody. You see, that's you and I. And Paul said, listen, we take every thought, Captain. You can affect how people think. And you can use that as a gift to encourage and strengthen and build up the kingdom. Because the enemy's doing just the opposite. I love Andy Griffin. We'll close in a moment. But Andy Griffin one day thought he'd have a little fun with Barney. Barney Fife came in and sat down. And Andy, you can just tell he's kind of being mischievous. He said... Uh, he said, do you feel all right? Barney said, what? Do you feel all right? Yeah. Barney says, yeah, I feel fine. Yeah, I'm fine. And Andy goes back to working. And you can see Barney starting to get a little worried. And finally Barney said, well, why'd you ask? Andy said, and this is literally how he did it. Andy said, 
well, I don't know, you just kind of look, um, you know, and he did his hands like that. And Barney said, what do you mean I look a little, and did his hands like that? He said, I don't know, you just kind of look a little, and, 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 and in a matter of five minutes, listen, Barney was collapsed there on the desk and asking Andy to call the doctor and set up an appointment. You laugh, but that is the potential. If somebody looks at you and asks you, do you feel good today? Are you all right? Is something wrong? I don't know. You look a little pale, look a little pinked. You automatically, your body biologically, physically begins to... Your brain now convinces your body that you're sick. But you look at that person and say, uh, you look good today. Color looks good. You know what will happen? That person will start feeling better. Why? Because of the, the way a man thinks in his heart, his mind, a thought determines how he behaves, it determines how he feels, it affects every area of his life. That's why Paul said, listen, you take every thought captive. So capture the thought. Number two, real quickly, analyze it. What do you mean analyze it? Look at Philippians 4, and I promise you I'm getting ready to close. So, Philippians chapter 4, but I want you to see this. Philippians chapter 4, watch what Paul says here. Because when Paul in Philippians chapter 4 is talking about, in verse 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, to us, that's foreign, that's alien. We're saying, wait a minute, Paul says, don't worry about nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, Paul said, listen, don't worry about nothing. Don't allow negative, destructive, worrisome thoughts to come into your head. Listen, capture that thought, then analyze it. And what Paul will do is, watch what he says here. He says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. See that? You ever notice how Paul differentiates the mind? He said, will guard, listen, once you have a worrisome negative thought, the Bible says, Paul said, listen, just pray about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about nothing. Just immediately bring it before God as a petition in prayer. And he says, when you do that, you're just surrendered to God. This, whatever your will is, when you do that, God will give a peace that transcends all understanding. Now look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, you get a thought that comes into your head, you trap it, you, you capture it, you hold it for a moment. No thought. And you think to yourself, you take the thought prisoner, you put it behind bars, you lay it on the examination table and do an autopsy. Have you ever thought, had a thought and you thought when, you, when the thought came into your head, you said, wait a minute, where did that thought come from? You ever, you ever think that way? I'm not going to allow any thought to wander around in my brain all day, feeding my emotions, wreaking havoc in my life, clouding my thinking. Where did that thought come from? Why is it there? Is it, for, is it going to be for my good or is it going to be for my bad? I've captured it, I've thought about it, and I need to do something with it. Some of us need to take verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4 and we need to just literally put that on the mirror of our our bathroom when we get up in the morning. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Is this thought something that's going to edify, encourage, and build me up? Now, if it's not, then I need to T, toss it. You say, well, that's going to take a lot of work. Because I, I do a lot of thinking. Well, then you're going to be mighty busy. But every thought that comes into your head, you're going to capture it. And then you're going to analyze it. You're going to say, you know, is this lovely? Is it true? Is it good? Is it noble? Is, it, is, is, is this something that's going to edify, build me up, encourage me? Am I going to feel better with this thought? Or is this thought going to take me down a path that's going to bring destruction, going to bring worry into my life, anxiety, negative feelings? Then if it is, I need to toss it. But if it's pure, holy, good, and it's a good thing, I need to treasure it. Now, I want you to stand, because we're going to stop here.
What, what do we spend the majority of our time doing? I would love to believe that it was thinking. What we spend the majority of our time doing is watching TV. Verse 8, lovely, true, wholesome, noble, good, righteous. Reality is what? In fact, if we were honest, our TV is where? Our TV is either up now because they're HD TVs or they're situated and the furniture is corralled so that it's corralled around the TV. And I want you to understand this. Right now, all your senses, smell, touch, um, sound, all of your senses are pulling in all of the information right now. That hundred billion nerve endings, those electrical chemical circuitries in your brain are accumulating every single detail. That cough a moment ago. Your brain recorded that cough. Your brain's recording the movement of this little boy right here. Your brain is recording the, the movement of air in this room. Your brain is recording every single detail. Apple has no computer that is, it can come close to the capacity and the ability of 100 billion neurons that are right now electrochemical reactions that are sending and storing all of that away. Can I ask you something? How many murders, rapes, killings, how much negative stuff do we watch on TV that our brain is taking in every single detail and storing it away? How come today we are all on Lexapro, Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft? How come today that two-thirds of us are obese? How come so many of us are in the mess that we're in? Maybe it's because we are allowing a floodgate of the prince of the air, our enemy, to pour into our head garbage and we are not taking the thoughts captive. If we stop when we were watching CSI and we realized the direction of that program and we said, do I really need to watch this? Will this edify build me up or will this tear me down? And we begin not only to take every thought captive, we begin to take... Let me tell you what I do with negative people. You know what I do with negative people? I don't get around them. Sheila will tell you this. People that are negative, I'm out of there. Because see, somebody like me, they'll just feed my anxiety. So I don't, I'm not going to give the enemy a stronghold in my life. What music, what TV programs, what friendships, what relationships are going on in your life where things the enemy is allowing to come into your head and affect how you think, thereby it affects how you behave? No wonder we're in the mess we're in in America. God wants to set you and I free. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We thank you, dear Lord. In fact, Lord Jesus, I, 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 I even wrote in my notes that I felt like, Lord, that you wanted me to say to this congregation, I love you. Lord, I, uh, this, these last, this last week preparing for this message, I spent an enormous amount of time. I've been sick all week. I've had one interruption after another. It seems that it has been a very, very bad week. Why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we have an enemy. And that enemy knows that a message like this, if we can learn to take every thought captive, if we can begin to analyze those thoughts and put them under the, the guidance of your Holy Spirit, if we can screen them through the Word of God, then we can begin to understand that some thoughts not only need to be captured, they not only need to be analyzed, all thoughts need to be. But once we do an analysis, some of these thoughts, some of these things we need to toss out of our life. There are friendships we may have to let go of, relationships. There are TV programs that we may have to quit watching. Lord, there are things that need to be tossed, and the reason there's two T's at the end of C-A-T 
The reason there's a second T is because some things need to be treasured. Look this way. When you're sitting with a good friend and you're watching a ball game and you're enjoying it, that's all right. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. You and I need to treasure the good moments. Those are the ones we need to store away. Hey, I'm a workaholic. But two, two weeks ago, on a Tuesday, the old workaholic was going to get, I was going to get to the office, hell or high water. I was going to get Sheila to the office. The only problem was it was snowing. And I got up to the overpass here, and I hit a lane of ice. Now, there was a patrolman blocking off that lane, and just luckily, I got stopped and got over. And I was trying to get onto the job. Finally, I got to, to Gallatin, or before Gallatin, State Street. I said, Sheila, we can't go no farther. We've got to go home. So then we're creeping back down 80, heading to the house. We get to the house Tuesday, snow. We're out, kind of out in a rural area, so snow everywhere. All of a sudden, we went in there and made a pot of coffee took our Bibles and laid them on the hearth, had gas logs and cut those gas logs on. And all of a sudden, we were trapped. We couldn't work. We couldn't do anything. Didn't have the TV on. We just sat there and we began to read our Bibles. We began to communicate and talk about what we were reading. We spent a long time in prayer. Snow just falling 90 to nothing. There we were sitting in that warm environment. And I looked at Sheila and I said, isn't it funny? Sometimes God will just stop us and say, I need a little time with you. It was the best day of our lives in many, many years. We treasured that. And we stored that away as a precious memory. Some things, some thoughts need to be tossed. Some things need to be treasured. Let's finish this prayer. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that today they'd give their life to you and realize that you will come in and you will bring about a transformation. Not only, dear Lord, well, a regeneration, a rebirth, but then, dear Lord, you will begin to transform their heart, their mind. The Bible says, let this mind be in you. That sounds like we've got to let it. Lord, help us to let your mind be in us. Set us free, dear Lord, of the worrisome, negative, destructive thinking that we get caught up in, patterns that need to be broken. Set us free. May we captivate and capture every thought, analyze it, and may we toss it when it needs to be tossed or treasured when it needs to be treasured. Father, if there's one here that doesn't know you, may they come today. If there's one that needs to move their membership and be a part of this church or to recommit their life, may they do that today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.